So you can go ahead and be turning to Habakkuk. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that now so that you can go ahead and start looking. If you're using an app, it's really easy. If you're, if you're analog, it might take you a second. Because I don't know I didn't mark it in mine. So I'm right here with you. Let's see. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Okay. Then Habakkuk. So go ahead and start turning to Habakkuk. Um, so I know, like, so here's the thing that you guys are going to be stuck with for me for however long you're here. Basically, every sermon is going to have some sort of Ellie metaphor or Ellie. Ellie truth kind of kind of weaved in here. I was saying this to Tip. I haven't even told her what I was going to say this morning. I don't think because uh, I was like, last week was like very heavily parenting metaphor, and so I felt kind of bad. I was like, I made it sound like she's this awful kid, and she's not. She's really not. So I'm going to do something a little bit happier, at least for me, uh, to to kind of intro this this week. Because um, if you haven't talked to me much, then you probably haven't heard me tell you that Ellie's most recent obsession, which is fantastic, is Star Wars. Yes, I have won on something. She might be a Vol fan, but I get Star Wars, and this is awesome, which is probably why if you see glitter on my face, it's a result of watching Star Wars because she perches herself on my shoulder to watch so that she can ask me questions. Yeah, seriously. She's been wearing all these princess dresses, so I end up with glitter all over. It's, it's awesome. It's great. But, so, she has recently become obsessed with watching Star Wars. She's watched the first one like four or five times. We've watched, and when I say the first one, I of course mean episode four. Amen? Amen? Okay, good. So, so we watched that like three or four times. We watched episode five like three or four times. We're just about ready to move on to episode six. This is, this is good for me, too. I'm kind of, you know, getting ready for, you know, what really matters, obviously. Coming up here in a couple of Weeks now? Yeah, you know, uh, in the episode seven release. So anyways, but I was thinking about this this week. I was trying to figure out why is it that she likes Star Wars? Because I know why I like Star Wars. She probably likes Star Wars right now because I like Star Wars and because I made a big deal out of her liking Star Wars. And she probably likes the characters and some of them are kind of silly and Chewbacca's kind of like a bear and he's, he's that, and then you got Yoda, and he's little, and he's cute, and, you know, and there's a princess, so she likes that. But what is it about, like, Star Wars, or most movies that we like, that we really seem to connect with? What is it that makes us, like, so love those things? There are a bunch of different ways that you could answer that, but I was thinking through, a lot of the movies that we really seem to connect to are involved in some sort of injustice being acted out upon a weaker group of people or a person, and then seeing the weaker group overcome that injustice. And that, that overcoming of the injustice is that point where we're like, yeah, I feel good. I feel, I feel satisfied. I, I mean, think, think about it. Okay, so you got Star Wars. Yes, overcoming injustice. Some of you won't understand this because you haven't seen it yet, and you're in my community group, and I feel bad for you. There's a lot of overcoming of injustice in Star Wars. Cinderella, mean old stepmother. And you're just like, when is she going to get out from under that? When is she going to get 
that satisfying overcoming of injustice, being treated poorly. Hunger Games. I, I was trying to think of other examples. Those are the ones that kept popping into my mind. Like, like oppressive evil over somebody who is unable to do anything about it. That's kind of the situation that Israel has found themselves in. The people of Israel, especially at this point in Judah. Um, in Habakkuk's time, we don't know exactly when it is, but it's probably around the time of like King Amon. I don't know if you know. Uh, it, we, could, we could go into a great big study about a bunch of the kings that came and went through both of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. But, but suffice it to say, there were some pretty wicked guys that were leading Israel throughout this period of their history. And they were, they were not only making friends with all the evil kings from around the nations or surrounding them like we talked about last week, but, but they, were, they were themselves you know, buying into idolatry and they were, they were oppressing the people, taking advantage of the people. They were, they were treating the people... They weren't, they weren't you know, lovingly serving the people that God had put under them. They were just kind of ruling and making, making a name for themselves and making themselves great, making themselves comfortable while the people under them suffered. And they kind of heavy-handedly dealt with the people, and the people obviously couldn't do anything about it because they had no power, they had no real authority. They were just subjected to these really wicked, awful kings. And it's not just that it was happening there. There was, there was evil going on all around the world. We talked about the Assyrian Empire rising up and, 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 oppress and, and starting to slowly take over this whole area of the world. Uh, in just a few minutes, we're going to talk about the Babylonian Empire raising up and, and overthrowing the Assyrian Empire. But that doesn't really fix anything because now they're just going to become the dominant superpower that's going to start oppressing people and, and, and taking over countries. So there's all of this wicked, wickedness and evil um, going on in the world and then you have Habakkuk, who, who is like one of us. One of us who sees all this going on, and he doesn't like seeing it. And, and, and there's nothing that he can do. He can't overcome it, so he says to God. And, and this is what's interesting about the book of Habakkuk. It's in, the, it's in these minor prophets, but it's not that he has a message to deliver to the people of Israel directly in this book. This is more going to see a conversation between somebody who knows and loves God asking God a few questions and God speaking back to him in a few answers. And we're going to get to see an, an, an interesting arc from, from where he begins, which is, there is all of this evil going on around me and I hate it. What are you doing about it, God? Are you just going to leave us here in this with all of this wickedness going on or are you actually going to step in? And intervene. So if you're already there, go ahead and look in Habakkuk chapter 1. We are going to read the whole book today, but don't worry, it's only three chapters, so we're fine. So Habakkuk chapter 1, I'm going to read the first uh, four verses so you can kind of see where Habakkuk is coming from. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. So what he's saying is, 
And there's two ways that you could look at who, what he's complaining about. Either he could be complaining about the surrounding nations that are kind of, you know, breathing down the neck of the Israelites and they're threatening to come in and overtake them, that sort of thing. Or you look at the fact that you have some pretty wicked kings who are letting some pretty wicked things take place inside of Israel. Lots of idolatry. Lots of worshiping false gods. And I think that's what he's talking about. I think he's saying to God, God, look, we're supposed to be your people. We're supposed to be the righteous ones. Those of us who, who try to seek you, those of us who try to be righteous, who, who try to stay away from these things, are just surrounded by so much evil. These people are going off chasing after other gods, and I know you don't like it, but you seem to be letting it happen, and I don't like that. I don't like seeing all of this taking place. He's saying, God, it looks like you're doing nothing, right? He says, the law seems to be paralyzed. Like, it doesn't matter that you gave us these rules. These rules aren't doing us any good because there's nobody here to enforce them and you don't seem to be doing anything about it. That's his complaint. So he says, God, what are you going to do about this? And then he answers. And we'll go ahead and I think read the rest of the chapter. No, we'll read a little bit. So God answers him. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. That's reassuring, right? Like, if you're Habakkuk and you're like, God, you're not really seeming to do anything about this. God says, oh yeah, I have been. I just haven't been doing anything that you've been able to see yet. I think it's interesting to realize that, you know, we've been focused on God building up this nation of Israel. He's separating out these people for himself. And we see how he's kind of sovereignly been taking them from being one man to being one family to being millions of people who are in captivity to saving them from captivity, right? And... and and, and taking them through the desert for a long time, only to you know, bring them into this place. And he's given them these, this place, and he's developed them into a powerful nation. They've had all sorts of success, all sorts of wealth. They've had great kings. They've been renowned throughout all the earth for the wealth that God has you know, kind of built up in them, even though they've fallen onto harder times more recently. But, but it's interesting that you know, we've been so focused on this nation and Israel had been so focused on what God was doing with them that they kind of failed to realize that just because God is building them up doesn't mean they're the only ones that he's working with. They weren't the only nation that he was sovereign over. It's not like he was just sovereign over the nation of Israel and everything else that was happening was outside of God's jurisdiction. He's saying, you've been here, you've seen what I've been doing here, but I work other places too. He's basically saying, don't think so much just about yourself to think that I'm incapable of taking care of building up this nation and building up a nation over here to punish the wickedness of the nation that I've built up right in front of you. 
And that's what he's saying. He's saying, you haven't seen it, but there's this other nation that's going to become more fearsome than the Assyrian Empire ever was. It's going to be more powerful than they ever were. It's going to take over a greater percentage of the world than had ever been conquered in the world's history. I'm building up these people. But don't worry. So, so don't worry. I'm doing this. I'm going to build up this strong nation, and they're going to come overthrow all the wickedness and all the sin, and they're going to, they're going to carry people off. They said they're going to take captives like the sand. Like, like, you're not going to even be able to comprehend how powerful this nation is that I'm building up. And you're thinking, and Habakkuk's thinking, and we're going to read here in just a second. He's thinking, K? So I asked for justice for sin, but you said you're going to build up a wicked nation more wicked than us, to come defeat us and carry us away. That's, that seems to be God's answer. That, well, it's not that it seems. That's exactly what God just said he was going to do. So, so, it does, so, so first thing we got to realize is when we see injustice, when we see something that we don't like, we wish that God would intervene in, we can't assume that he's only working in our lives. He's not just for us. He's not just for CRC. He's not just for the church in America. He's not just, you know... God works all over the world. God is, in in any situation where something is happening, I think we can kind of all get around this idea at this point. From from what we've seen of the Old Testament up to this point, it doesn't matter what is happening throughout the world, God has his hand in making it move from the point that it was to the point that it is now. Regardless of whether it's people that are serving him or people that aren't serving him, God is playing out this story. God is working this thing out that he has created for a purpose, good or evil. He has his hand in it because he has his purpose for building up these evil forces. He has this purpose for building up this evil nation because his people that were supposed to be chasing after him, they're supposed to be loving him, that were supposed to be staying away from the idols of the nations surrounding them have lost sight of that mission, and now he has to, like we talked about last week with Isaiah, he says, now I have to come punish you so that you can learn what it means to me to turn away from me, to sin, to leave me. And the way he's going to do that is by building up this wicked nation. So God says, don't think I haven't been working. I absolutely have been working, and this is what I've been doing. I'm building up the Chaldeans, which is another name for the Babylonians. So let's see how Habakkuk feels about that. Pick up in verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them into his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? And then we'll go ahead and read verse 1 of the next chapter. I will take my stand at the watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So he got into some metaphor and stuff in there, but I think the most important verse for us there is verse 13. 
You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So what he's saying is, so God, what you're saying is you're raising up a wicked nation who, who does not know you at all, who has no one in them that seek after you, and you're going to use them to overthrow us. So you're going to take somebody worse than us to punish the less wicked is basically what he's saying. He's saying, he's like, at least we've got some good people and you're going to use a nation worse than us as our punishment. Basically, he's saying, God, here's how the whole conversation has gone up to this point. He says, God, there's a bunch of evil going on here and it doesn't seem like you're doing anything about it. What do you have to say about that? And he says, I got a plan. Here's my plan. And Habakkuk says, I don't like that plan. That's a bad plan. That's a, that's a plan where, where you're taking more evil to overcome us. That doesn't, that doesn't, he's like, this does not compute with me. And so he comes back and he says, God, you are so holy, you would think that you would just make us holy again. Why would you take more evil and overcome us with even more evil? Why do we have to see more evil when evil is already the problem that we're facing. And so, and I love in verse 2, he's like, so in chapter 2, in verse 1 of chapter 2, when he says, so I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to wait for you to tell me what the real plan's going to be. Is basically where Habakkuk is at this point. He's like, I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to listen, because I'm sure that there is more to this than that. So God's revealed what he intends to do. God revealed that he intends to punish the sin, the wickedness. He's not going to let it idly stand, which is what Habakkuk was asking for to begin with. So, so now it's just Habakkuk has to deal with why is this the plan? Why that plan? And I think there are a lot of times that we get presented with a solution and we don't like the solution that we're presented with. And we're like, I have this problem. I don't understand this. I don't have an answer to this. When I was a kid, okay, this is, this is one of my worst moments. So when I was a kid, I don't know how old I was. I'm going to guess four or five. We'll go with four or five, and hopefully not like seven or eight. I will probably be corrected. I had a problem. I was starting to count. I could count, you know, tens, twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, ninety. This was three or four. Good, good, good. You know, and then you get to a hundred. 101, 102, 103, 104, 105, 106, 107, I don't know what comes next. Mom, what's the number that comes after 109? And she answers, 110. I say, no, 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 no. <laughs> what comes after? No, that's awesome. It felt really epic all of a sudden. But this story is really not worth that. So what's the, what, but what comes after 109? Because, because up to, if you think about it, this is actually genius, and I defend that this is actually genius. Because up to that point when you're learning to count, every single 10, you get a new thing. Like, I didn't understand that it looped back to the beginning again when you got, like, I didn't realize that 100 was kind of like zero. Like, it was just kind of a, a reset. I thought we'd get a new set digits, like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, whatever comes next. 
110. 110. I would have felt great with 110. Next is 110. Oh, okay. 111, 110. You know, that would have been much, but, but she said, no, the answer to your problem, the solution to this thing is 110. And I did not like that solution. I cried. I remember because we were on our way to your mom's house. We were in the car. We probably had another half an hour at least of drive time. And I cried, though. no, no. And I remember the saying, we're going to ask me mom when we get there. And she will, of course, agree with us that this is... That's kind of the situation that Habakkuk finds himself in. God, are you going to do something about this? What's the solution? God says, here's my solution. He's like, I don't like that answer. I don't like that solution. I'm resistant to that solution. I don't want, I don't want you to fix it that way. And, and like a three or four year old, we often are offered solutions. or We often see maybe the way that God works or the way that God is going to act the thing, the directions that God is taking us, and we're like, I don't like that option. I don't like where it is you're leading me. Some of us would have probably said, I don't like the idea of going and planting a church downtown where we don't have heat in the winter. Maybe some of us would have been a bit resistant to moving down here. What, what month was it? We moved? we moved in in like June. But we kept coming until December before we got heat. Right? And it got cold. Like, like, like cold, cold, like everybody bringing blankets and jackets just for the preaching so that we didn't shiver too bad. Right. But like God's saying, I want you to go be the church here and I'm not going to give you heat yet. I think some of us were kind of like, I don't like that idea. But there are many times that God presents us with a solution or an answer to our prayer. Right. This is basically just him praying to God. God, can you help me with this? And God's saying, yes, I can help you in this way. And God offers us an answer to our prayer. And we don't necessarily like that answer. We don't like the solution that we're being presented with. But like Habakkuk's about to realize, God is going to reveal himself to be correct in offering the solutions that he offers us. And he just expects that we would take a step back and say, we submit to you. So let's go ahead and keep reading. Chapter 2, we'll pick up in verse 2. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on the tablets, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. So right off the bat, God's saying, all right, I want you to write this down so that when people hear it, they can go take the message that I'm about to give you. That's what this run thing is, so that he may run who reads it. So they can take this message that I'm about to give you. So they can go say, God said this is how it was going to be. He's saying, I want you to be comfortable testifying to this. Verse 4, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. That's talking about the king of the Babylonians. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects his own 
and collects as his own all peoples. So then he's going to say, here's what's going to happen to the Babylonians in the end. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, who set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who, be, who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the, water, as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its marker trusts in his own creation, its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep, silent, keep silence before him. So God says, don't worry about the Babylonians, because he's going to overcome them too. He's going to use them for now, for a time, to punish his people for their sin, for their wickedness. But don't think that that injustice will also go unpunished, right? We talked at the very beginning about Habakkuk saying, I see all of this injustice around me. What are you going to do about it? And he says, well, I'm going to overcome the injustice within you by bringing more injustice from outside on top of you. But don't worry, because that, that, that injustice will be overcome as well. I can't let the wickedness of these guys who, who worship idols, I, I love that he says, who look at a piece of wood and say, awake. Or look at a stone and say, arise. Who looks at a thing that is not alive and talk to it as though it's going to do something for them. That's how ridiculous God sees the motivation behind a lot of these guys. A lot of these people who are worshiping idols. That's what he sees. He says, you're worshiping a thing that does not breathe, that is not alive, that might as well not even exist. You're treating it as though it is so much more. And it's just this little piece of wood to God. It's just this rock. Rocks don't mean anything in that sense. He's like, it's not going to do anything for them. They're going to go, they're going to plunder, they're going to overcome all these nations, they're going to build themselves up, they're going to be so proud, they're going to see so much glory for themselves that they've built up. It doesn't matter because ultimately God says, I'm going to overthrow them. They're going to realize in the end, when they cry out to their idols, 
trying to say, you know, save me from my defeat, because all of these peoples are rising up against them again. You know, so, so the Babylonians are going to say to their idols, save me, do something for me, and they're just going to be silent. They're not going to be able to do anything for them. And he says, because the Lord, but the Lord is in his holy temple, and everything on earth will know him. He's saying, the knowledge of me is going to cover the earth like the water covers the earth. Right? He's saying, I'm going to make myself known by the way that I overcome this injustice, by the way I overcome evil and reveal myself to be powerful, reveal myself to be good, reveal myself to be able to take care of you. So he says, I'm not sitting back idly by. I didn't just, I didn't just create this whole thing and let you guys spin out of control and he just kind of went off and went on vacation. He says, no, I'm actively involved in fighting for you even if it's by means that you don't fully understand, even if it's by methods that you might not would prefer, even though you think you have a better solution for this problem, God says, don't worry. I have a solution for what you see as the problem in my solution. Does that make sense? So, so God's saying, you, you think that there's some holes in my logic as to how I'm going to fix this, but I even have a plan to follow that up. God, God sees so much further in advance than we do. We can't see through you know, the army that's walking toward us to see that God built that army up to teach us something, to reveal to us that he built that army up so that he could overcome that army for us, so that we could again be reminded that he is powerful, he is able to overcome any evil or anything that might fight against us. So it doesn't matter whatever it is that's going on in our lives. We see it and we say, this is bad, can you fix it? I mean, I think of, I think of the prayers that, that Paul would pray and he'd say, God, I have this thorn in my flesh. I need you to take care of this. Can you take this away from me? And God says, no, I need you to have that. Why? So that he could learn to just humbly accept that God is in control and that God is going to take care of him and God is going to see him through whatever difficulty he may be facing at the time. So God says again, look, look, I'm in control. I'm going to overcome this. I want you to just trust me. And then we get Habakkuk's response. I'm just going to read, I think, yeah, I'm just going to read this whole last chapter real quick. I want you to realize what Habakkuk's response is to God at this point. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shagan. According to him. We'll go with Shia. Shia LaBeouf. According to Shia LaBeouf. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague, followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtain in the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. 
the mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It's lifted, it lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places the choir master with stringed instruments. And I'm going to talk about that last line, why he just threw that in there. So God says, I got this. You just got to trust me. You have to see that I have a plan here. And what Habakkuk does is it kind of opens his eyes to say, wait a minute, let me think back to who God is up to this point. And he kind of recalls these times. I think when he's talking about uh, God came from Taman, the Holy One from the mountain. I think he's looking back to this time when God called them out of Egypt and he met with them at a mountain and, and, and he revealed himself for who he was and, and by his leading them uh, in their, as they came into the promised land, he overthrew these cities. He, he, he took down armies. He's, he's revealed himself to be powerful enough to care for them. He's revealed himself to be good enough to overcome the evil that might would try to invade them. So Habakkuk seems to be looking back to remind himself of who God is, who God has revealed himself to be, which is exactly what we're doing through this whole series of the Old Testament. We are looking back and saying, God, who have you revealed yourself to be? Let's get a clearer picture of who he is so that we can be more confident in our obedience to him and our willingness to trust him despite whatever it may be that he puts in front of us. That's what Habakkuk's doing. He's kind of reminding himself. He's, he's remembering all of the goodness and the power that God has revealed to Israel throughout its history. And then once he remembers that, he says, so no matter how bad it gets, right? That's kind of that, that closing part. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. Even if we don't have any food, even if we don't have any flocks, even if we don't have any security, even if it gets so much worse from here. He's like, I was complaining at the beginning because I thought it was bad. But God, even if you make it worse, I know that looking back at who you have revealed yourself to be, I can trust you. I know that there is, there is no thing that you are unable to overcome. There is nothing that you are powerless to deal with. So we see 
in just these three short chapters, we see this real shift in his mindset. God, what are you doing? You don't seem to be doing anything too. I'm going to wait on you because you said you're going to do something. And in the end, he throws in the line to the choir master with stringed instruments. His response, his response to asking God what his plan is and God saying, I'm going to take care of this is to worship God. To say, God, you are in control no matter how bad the times may get. No matter what wickedness we may face, we're going to trust you. I am going to trust you. And we need to sing these things. It's why we study scripture. It's why we sing songs that are rooted in scripture. So that we can say, we believe these things and they are going to be a part of our lives. And we're going to, we're going to respond to the word with humility, saying that, God, we know that you're in control. We know that you're able to take care of whatever we may face. Go ahead and turn to Romans real quick. Because this is the same message, Romans chapter 8. Because this is the same message that we just read, but a little bit more directed at us specifically. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Again, thinking about whatever injustice may be going on in the world around us right now. Whether it's whether it's radical religious groups that are trying to kill us, whether it's a war against the unborn, whether it's a redefinition of who we are as men and women, as God, whatever, whatever sorts of injustice, whatever sorts of oppression we may be seeing around us. We get to verse 18 of chapter 8. For I consider, not, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. So because there is evil, because we're around evil, because we live in a broken world, like Habakkuk, it ought to hurt us that we see all of this evil. It, ought, we, it says we groan inwardly, like we feel the weight of the sin in our own lives. We feel the weight of the sin that is everywhere we go. Because we live in a world that has been, like he said, subjected to futility. We sin, God cursed his creation. And we have to deal with the consequences of that every moment of every day. But he says, he didn't do that without 
leaving us hope. Just like he said to Habakkuk, you're going to have to wait. I'm doing something here. I'm working something out. Just be patient. Just wait on me. Just trust that I'm going to take care of you. And that's what verse 25 says. But if we hope for what we do not see, what is it that we do not see? We don't get to see Jesus. But if we're going to talk about, you know, the kind of cathartic storybook ending, the thing that we're always hoping for when we're watching, like we said at the very beginning, when we're watching a movie and we're hoping to see some sort of injustice overthrown, we're hoping to see that, that weak, frail hero overcome something. Spoiler alert, we're waiting to see the little kid, Luke, Luke Skywalker, blow up the Death Star. Sorry, it happens. When we're waiting to see these moments where we go, yeah, got him. Or they did it. They got out. They overcame. We're waiting for that. That's what Jesus did. He was this seemingly weak, seemingly fragile, seemingly to the eyes of the people he was walking around with, nothing of a person who allowed himself to be broken, who allowed himself to be beaten, who allowed himself to be murdered so that he could overcome all the brokenness around us. Everything that we see that we are disgusted by, all of the oppressive nations that were surrounding Israel, he, his death was powerful enough to overcome that. And no, we don't get to see him face to face now, but because we get his spirit in us, right? Because we've been given the spirit. That's what we just read. Because we have the spirit in us, we can have a hope that because he has overcome sin, we are going to get to see all of the evil that surrounds us overcome. So no matter what it is that we're facing, whether it's, whether it's some sort of actual physical pain, whether it's we're dealing with some sort of stressful situation with our family, whether we're dealing with some sort of difficulty at work or in school, or, or something internal, some sort of internal struggle that we're dealing with, whatever the pain that we may be feeling right now may be, whatever the evil that is kind of pushing in around us and makes us want to say, God, what are you doing about this? Because I don't feel like you're here. We don't get to see him but we get to have hope that He's going to overcome all these things because Christ has already done everything that it takes to overcome that. So let's pray.